This is David Wilson, and welcome to episode 72 of On Another Track. Well, I'm having my coffee. It's uh, 7 o'clock in the morning here in Canada, and as you can hear, I've got a British accent, so I emigrated here probably 12 years ago. I've been always interested, since I was a little kid, I was interested in, in singing other lead vocals and inventing stuff that wasn't there, you know. This started with the Beatles. That's the voice this week of my guest, Galeazzo Fruitwa. He's actually a skilled guitar maker. We're not talking any old guitars here, we're talking about guitars that the rock stars use. Welcome along to my podcast series on another track. We're here to explore people and places from around the world. We hear the stories that have transformed my guest's journey and help them get on another track. It's not always pretty, but if you need that practical advice to figure out the roadblocks ahead, then you can't go wrong by learning from other people's mistakes. It's an enlightening experience and a great journey. I first met Galeazzo through our mutual interest in the Beatles. What was really interesting, I was doing some research in the Beatles from my radio program on White Horse Radio, and noticed that Galeazzo had done some extraction of the Beatles' vocals for a particular track that I was looking at. What was also interesting is when I started to interview him, I hadn't realized he was a guitar maker. And in fact, he makes the guitars for some of the biggest rock stars in the world, including Peter Gabriel and David Rose. Listen as he takes us on a journey of how he goes about making a guitar and what inspired him to do it in the first place. My first question for Galeazzo was to explain a little bit about where he's from. I'm from Italy, Bologna, which is a town which is in the northern part of Italy. Fantastic. I bet it's absolutely beautiful as well, yeah. Yes, this, that, this is the town that has the oldest university ever in the world. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't yes. know that. How old is that then? How many? How 2,000 many? years, I think, something like this. That's incredible. I don't, I don't remember. Let, let me ask my girlfriend. Ah, la Università di Bologna, quant'ha? Mille anni, 1,000 years. It was founded in the 9th century. 9th century, 1,000 years. My goodness gracious, that's just incredible, isn't it? So from your perspective, um, what was really interesting was that we got to meet each other really just through email. I, I mean, I do, and you might not know this, actually, I do a regular re- retro radio show in the UK. It's, you know, from the 1950s and the 1960s, and I feature the Beatles, and one day I was doing some research in the Beatles and I came across your extracted vocals that you did of some of the Beatles songs. Yeah. And I have to say, they just blew me away. It was incredible what you'd done. Thank you. Um, but it takes a lot of skill and effort. So I suppose, first of all, how did you get interested in the Beatles and, and, and older music? Um, my uncles my uncles used to have every type of uh, old long playing from the 60s and the 70s. But it, I wasn't interested in the Beatles since I, I one day I wasn't on holiday and I and I, I was on a how do you call that um, uh, a structure where you have a roof where you take the, the tent in a camping. Oh yes, like a tent type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was there talking with uh, a few girls and a guy came in, came up, and uh, he started singing some beautiful songs. And when he, when he, uh, we finished, the, I approached him and I asked him which song were. Uh, the song that he was singing, and he said, well, they have the Beatles, you don't know them. I, I remember that I only knew one of the ones he was singing. So I almost didn't know anything about the Beatles, but I was very, very um, impressed with this voice and the effect that this voice was having on the girls. And, 
and the, the overall effect of the music, the overall appealing uh, appeal of the music. So I went home. When I went home, we were in uh, Campania, where Naples is. And uh, when I went home in uh, Varese at the time, I lived in the very north near Switzerland. And when I went home, I, um, I remember I tried to uh, look at every, every single LP, that album that my uncle had. Well, he did, I didn't find any with the songs because probably he was singing some um, singles. Yeah. And my uncle didn't have any singles. He just had albums. So I didn't find any songs. So the only thing I, I found was... Uh, and a very old record from a duo that um, that played uh, lap steel guitar. They were called uh, Santo and Johnny. That were remember them playing covers of famous. You remember them? Yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. They were very yeah. famous. Yeah, uh, he, my uncle had this uh, album, and there was a cover of uh, Hey Jude made only on um, on only on the lap steel guitar. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so I learned this one on one string of the guitar because it, on the high string of the guitar because it sounded like the like the record, you know. And um, then what happened? But I, I started the secondary school, and I um, and uh, one day the director came in and said, "Well, uh, it was about twenty days since we started the school," and they said, "There's a new guy coming from another school, so we have already settled everything. You know, we have a new we had a new guy coming, so it was a sort of a surprise." And I remember this guy; uh, he passed from my desk at the, when we had a, um, a break. He passed from my desk and he, uh, he saw some Beatles comments on. Um, a little bag I had and said, oh, come to my, come to my house. I, I like the Beatles play with me. So I, I went there and I remember he was playing piano much, much better than I play guitar. Right. Much, much better. It was uh, 1978, I think, something like this. And he took off one book playing with the she, uh, music, right, written on the other. I don't remember the name in English now. The music sheet, yeah, I get you. The music sheet, yeah. yeah. And uh, he started playing uh, Rocky Raccoon, you know. So, but he was playing that one in a very honk-tonk honk -tonk way, you know. With the piano, I said, "Wow, that's fantastic!" So I went back home again. I went to my other uh, my uncle's room where they. I tried to find the correct song, you know, on uh, on every album. I passed every album. I, I since I went to the white album, and I remember that uh, when I found the song, what I heard was uh, something like a string quarter playing vroom, 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 vroom. and then some pigs yes that's right <laughs> uh, and, a, and a song doing something like a summer little black when the hands of the coat of her leave the young boy named rock raccoon i said no that's not the song that i heard from my friend you know so I switched back again on the on the on the plane again. I heard a summary of the black man hands of the coat of early the young boy named Rock Raccoon. And then um, I said, well, I I give it up. I give it up, and I, I will never listen to this again. Then for some reason I went back. I listened back. I found Sexy Sadie, and from then on it was a uh, that was it an explosion of uh, yeah yeah that was so Sexy Sadie then really got you launched in terms of okay yeah. I I can play some Beatles I I can get into it. So um, did you find that you then had to explore the whole range of the Beatles songs? You know, right from sort of you know Please Please Me all the way through to Let It Be. Was that your kind of your your start of your fervor for loving the Beatles? 
Well, I started with a white album and went randomly discovering st- stuff in a random way. I, I don't remember the, how the process went, but I remember the, I remember the, the time I discovered Let It Be, the album, Get Back, the song. Uh, from then on, it was, you know, randomly going through albums and getting always more and more interested in that. And as a Beatles fan, then, did you sort of kind of arrive at a stage where you had a genre, a sort of period of years where you thought, you know, this is where they were just great. They really spoke to me. Or did you always like a broad range of different tracks? Uh, I, I would say that I, I would uh, like a, a broad range of different tracks. There are times when I listen to an album and times when I listen to another album. And the same was all throughout all my uh, Beatles fan, uh, let's call it uh, career. How do we call that? The period. Okay, it was uh, it was randomly. I, I get passionate over an album, and I go go back to this album. The album, curiously, the album I listened the most to is uh, Beatles for Sale, which is everybody seems to think is their lowest point. I don't know. Actually, I don't. I don't mind. It was their transition point. It, they were changing, you know, because yeah. you you see Beatles for sale and then Rubber Soul, and you saw yeah. yes, that they're now getting into this different groove, and then Help and all that was around that time as well. Yeah. And I have to say, um, you know, especially Rubber Soul is where they really composed the vast majority of their own songs in the album. Yeah, and so they really were kind of flourishing as writers. I thought, you know, yeah. But for me, I mean, personally, I still love the kind of the older stuff. You know, the kind of 1962, 63, when they're just getting going. And then Hard Day's Night, one of my favorite albums. But with the Beatles, their, their second album they did after Please Please Me really has some great songs. I, I really adore it, you know. Yeah, no, but I agree with you. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. With the first the first period from 1962 to 64 was full of energy, much than anything else they did, in my opinion. The rest was pure art and uh, and music but the energy was really there at the beginning they were so motivated and it, uh, until 64 they were so motivated for success that they did they gave whatever they had absolutely did it, you know from a, a perspective of being in italy and and sort of trying to understand the beatles themselves did their humor and their comedy come across to you at all when you ever watched them that's a good question because we uh, as an Italian, understanding what they are saying and pronouncing is very, very difficult. They are probably uh, sometimes talking some kind of a Liverpoolian dialect. So it was very difficult to understand. Um, it's difficult already now if I try to understand what they are saying in their conversation of the Get Back movie by Peter Jackson. It's still very difficult to get, for me at least, what they are saying. Maybe some very skilled English-speaking Italian person can get it, but I don't know. I, I think it's even for us in the UK, listening to the different dialects and accents, it can be quite difficult sometimes to pick up really? on what they're saying. Really? Yeah, because we're so regionalized. Every kind of 50 kilometers, maybe six, 70 kilometers, we have a different regional accent, you know. Yeah. Um, interesting you talk about Let It Be. I have to say, it was quite a revelation that movie when you see the six hours, you know, when you actually, I don't know if you've seen the full movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know about you, but I got an impression of the original movie. I never really enjoyed the original movie. It was, it was kind of just showed a bad side to the Beatles, which I didn't like. Hmm. But when you see the full six hours, I don't know how you felt, but it kind of showed them as really good creatives and really great friends still. Yeah, probably Peter Jackson did something for the fans. It was more of a job. It was more of a job for for the fans to enjoy 
the atmosphere that were that was there the the, the very the first view was very dark very noir i agree totally but totally well let's move on to something real light so you you then sort of said okay i like the beatles you they were obviously part of your life when you were growing up and you became a musician is that correct you you sort of had an interest in guitars originally is that correct i became a luthier i'm actually a luthier i, I i'm a guitar maker wow uh i had this poster of the the guys rehearsing some um I don't remember it was uh, a rehearsed Top of the Pops or something like this. Thank you, Lucky Stars. Thank you, Lucky Stars. I had a poster with the, them rehearsing something. I don't know, because the poster was not producing any music. And uh, I was very young, 16 or so, and I had this um, little bedroom with a, a wall full of Beatles photos and these portraits in this portrait in the in the middle of the, all these photos. And I had then I, I I was always looking to this Rickenbacker 325 guitar, so I wanted absolutely to have one. And I started to make one, you know, which was r- real rubbish. And now that I can say that after 40 years and building 350 or 400 instruments. I can say this was really, really rubbish. But uh, this started a passion for building guitars, you know, and I became a luthier. So I'm I'm not really a musician. I mean, I mean, I handled my YouTube channel. I do some productions, small production, especially in uh, arranging uh, harmonies, uh, or breaking down parts for people who is interested, but especially arranging harmonies. So hence the interest that you have in the voices of the Beatles, isolating the voices, yeah. Yeah, this belongs to the fact that people watch the, the, the breakdown of the vocals and they assume that I can create harmony. So they give me a harmony arrangement to create in their own music. This is what I do, basically. I do that. And then I am consulting in marketing and sales yeah, because my you you won't believe that, but my main passion is communication. It's exactly as the Beatles. Um, I work for a few companies, uh, helping them in getting their uh, goals, in achieving their goals, and especially on sales, positioning them, in uh, uh, ranking them high in the TripAdvisor. I'd love to go back a little bit towards the guitar. So you decided to sort of build guitars. I mean, that was an incredible feat to start with. How do you build a guitar? I built that guitar, and I, I you, you won't believe that. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was waiting a ton, because I don't, I didn't know anything about the guitar. I didn't know, for example, that it's so small. That's a really small guitar with a very short scale. That was like a three-quarter guitar. and uh, But I built that one huge, you know, so <laughs> it was very heavy. And uh, from then on, I switched to Brian May guitar. I tried to build Brian May guitar. And then from then on, I went to the, um, the most important uh, Lutheran school in the world, which is uh, the Stradivari School of Cremona, Antonio Stradivari School of Cremona, which I attended for a few years. And then I opened my own workshop because I was interested, and I wasn't interested in doing violins. At the Stradivari School, you, you learn to, to build uh, a strings, stringed instrument, so violins, violas, cellos. But I was interested in crafting electric guitars. So... In 1988, I uh, stopped the school 
uh, and then I uh, opened my own workshop, building guitars and repairing guitars. That went on until for 30 years, about 30 years. No, no, now I, I have a school where I teach other people to build guitars and uh, repair them. So you, you see, I work in different domains that have to, have to deal with luthery, communication, music. Incredible. So how did you get your first customers? How did that happen? Oh, that was a, a pure uh, case because uh, uh, we, uh, at the time I lived in a small town called Imola, which is famous worldwide for the car races, Formula One car races, uh, because there is a, how do you say, autodromo. autodromo. Like a, um, like a racetrack, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, very famous one. There are two very famous in in, in Italy. One is here, and uh, the there was a shop in the in town that sold instrument, musical instruments. But uh, by a, for a chance, the, the shop closed exactly when I opened, and the town is very rich, so people should go to the main town near. Imola, which is Bologna, to buy a guitar. And most of them had a lot of money, so they could afford to, to buy a handmade guitar, even, I, I, even if I was keeping, uh, at the time, was keeping very low prices. But it, the first customer that I had was, uh, they were lazy to go to Bologna, so bought a guitar for me, just for the, the fact that the shop had closed, you know, the only shop had closed. This was really, how do you say in English, that was a case, a specific case, I do say. Yeah, very lucky, very lucky, yeah. A lucky yeah. case. So you had your first, you know, sort of purchase by luck. Uh, so how do you build a reputation when it comes to making such a fine instrument? How do you build that reputation with people? Because I'm very smart in um, promotion and uh, communication and everything you had to deal with promoting your specific product to the people in the internet or, you know, even by by person and so in that specific case what i did is i first traveled the whole italy and and went and, and visit all the uh, um all the other competitors that i had so i was trying to understand what was the level of the competitors i, I had to deal with the second thing i did was at the time it was very hard to do that but i uh, subscribed to all the us magazines Bass player, guitar player, and that was another one. I don't remember guitar something. <laughs> and uh, I, bought, I, I I was buying those uh, magazines, which which were very very expensive at the time because they were imported in some way. And I copied their promotion ad, ads advertising. Again, I was lucky in our stuff. I, I met a Canadian a guy. Lucky, lucky chance, a Canadian guy came into my town and he, he married a girl who has a very rich girl that has a, a series of uh, uh, dress shops. And uh, I knew he, he, he was a very famous graphic advertising specialist. And I, I called him and said, listen, I don't have any money, but I, I build guitar. Would you do an advertising for me? I know that's, that's a crazy question. He said, what are you doing? I said, guitars. Yeah, yeah, come over. Let's see what... And he, he made them uh, the first very professional advertising for me for free. And that started everything because it was a very nice idea. He, he did that. You know, we, 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 we didn't have Photoshop. So we did that really with, um, with the guitars. It was a, a puzzle of guitars. With a, and he also invented my headline. We make just one kind of guitar, yours. Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? What a yes, it was, it was a business. I would spend probably, you know, I don't know, Five millions of lira at the times for that. 
And uh, it was totally for free or maybe something like 80 bucks or something like this. Incredible. It was very, very, very nice and passionate about that because he never did anything on guitars. So it was uh, sort of uh, um, fascinated about that. So that really kind of got you started. So where did you put these adverts? Were they in the American magazines or in the Italian magazines? No, no, just in the Italian magazines. And, and what sort of response did you get? Did it Was it immediate? The fact that the, the the shop closed gave me a buffer of money that I could invest in uh, other stuff, you know, including uh, uh, advertising. At the time, we had only two magazines in Italy, Guitar and Guitar Club. So we, I called the, the, the magazine and said, I have this uh, stuff. And we became very friends, me and these the directors of these magazines. So I did very nice advertising stuff. Then they sometimes they, they also call me, I, can I put this one for free because it's beautiful? Yes, you can do that. Then the most famous guitar player in Italy, Andrea Braido, went to a studio which he, uh, from a friend of mine, which is in a town nearby. And uh, he heard about the guitar that I was making and, he's, and he asked the guy of the studio to phone me, to call me and ask for bringing him some guitars to do this record, which I did. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even go personally. I sent a guy there. At the, at the end, he called me and said, I want uh, uh, a guitar and I'm leaving for um, the show uh, for a very important tour. We have a, you don't probably know him, but we have a very, 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 very famous singer here in Italy called Vasco Rossi, which is famous as the Beatles in, in the world. He's famous at the same rate in Italy. And he was leaving with this guy for a tour, say, I need two guitars. And then, in a way, I don't want to bore you with, with all of the things, but it was very, uh, very curious. This, this as well was very curious. But in the end, we had made a deal. I gave him two guitars. And this started the whole thing because these two guitars so high profile that I, for 10, 12 years, I always sold, just for one month or tour, I always sold two or three of these guitars but were very, very expensive. So it was another uh, strike, strike, uh, lucky strike, you know. You dare to do something and uh, someone in the higher uh, gives you a, a tip, you know. Yeah, so you, you get a, what they call a lucky break, don't you? You get a chance, a break, which is important, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I sweat for them. I had to, I had to in a way, uh, push for having, for having them, you know. Well, of course, you come across as somebody who is, we would say in the UK, quite cheeky. I don't know if there's the same word in Italian, but you're not embarrassed to come forward and ask the question and, and ask. Right, right, David. That's, that's it. And sometimes you need a lot of um, coraggio, how do you say, courage yeah. to do that. Courage and humor. You need to, a bit of humor and you know have a laugh and make people feel comfortable. Yeah. But your courage, you've got to be able to ask the question first. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I learned that if you do that, someone, so, some, some, someone from up, up, up there gives you a premium. I, know, I learned that. I think it's, it's just, the Beatles are full of this thing in their career, full, absolutely full of this thing in their career as well. I think you're absolutely right. They they came from the bottom. They were working class boys, you know, and they worked up and yeah. they went to Hamburg and they did their 10,000 hours. You know, that's the thing. They put the effort in, but they had a, they had a, such an enjoyment on the way. You know, they were cheeky, like I say, that word cheeky. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask you one thing. Is, is, is making a guitar, I mean, I have no knowledge of making a guitar. I love guitars. I love the sound they make, but I have no knowledge about, you know, is it a special type of wood? You know, how long does it take to make a guitar? And how do you get a guitar 
in tune? You know, what, what what's that all about? Take us through the process. Uh, consider that I'm I'm building 99% electric guitars, not acoustic guitars. Fair enough, yeah. Okay. So an electric guitar is a totally different thing than an acoustic guitar. In an electric guitar, the wood was chosen by the, the first producers, uh, one for all, Leo Fender, to be the most uh, stiff possible, stiffest possible. And, uh, but they had to have two characteristic ones, is, uh, they have, especially for the neck, they had to be the stiffest possible. And then uh, they had to be workable because they had to produce a lot of guitars. So, so they choose the alder, they choose uh, mahogany, they choose the maple. The, the choice was made for these two factors mainly, not for the sound, because on the electric guitar, the neck has an importance with the sound, but the body has less important, its importance. And, uh, and even for the, um, the look of the woods, for example, the first woods that Leo Fender chose was a Swampesh, which is a very, very figured wood, very nice one, very clear, so you can paint it whatever you want, and it will deliver a, a very good look, you know. The first um, Fender guitar were uh, tobacco bars, uh, so they had to be transparent in a way and, have, and show some grain. Uh, so... The woods uh, are sort of a support for the strings to vibrate, okay? And then the, the guitar is in tune because there is a rapport, the, um, a ratio between the, the, the position of the frets and you have to place according to the position of the frets that are reducing themselves as they go toward the bridge. You have to place the bridge in a specific part. This is called the scale of the guitar, the, the mathematic scale of the guitars. So, Maybe it can sound difficult, but if somebody teaches that to you, which is what I do every day, if somebody teaches that to you in a correct way, it's not that uh, difficult. The most difficult part of the luthier job is um, the ref refining the guitar, the details that guitar is refined with. And what does that take? How, how does it explain the refinement. What is refinement when it comes to guitars? There are a lot of details in a guitar that makes a huge difference in the playability and sound. And they are almost hidden details, okay? Not, that's not the macro stuff, it's the micro stuff that you use. For example, um, smoothing the, the edge of the fretboard, which is one, just to mention one of the most important, which rarely you see in uh, guitars made by um, luthiers, um, is rarely seen. That's what brought David Rose by um, the Peter Gabriel, guitar player, to use one of my guitars. He, he, used, he, he, he tried, he test uh, another guitar from another customer that I had, but was playing with him. And he said, who, who did that neck? And uh, this guy said, this is a luthier from Italy. And um, David Rose is a UK guy that plays a stellar level with the Peter Gabriel's and he called me and said listen this is the only neck I felt in my life that has the same exact feeling that my Jaguar guitar Fender Jaguar guitar has I just last or Jaguar I don't remember and he said how did you do that can you build a guitar for me sure I did <laughs> I sure I can 
So, you know, vintage guitar is a matter of filling the guitar with a lot of details that makes a huge difference when you put them all together. It's incredible how you just described that. You know, I have a link with uh, Peter Gabriel in terms of where I used to live in the UK, yeah. very near Bath in Wiltshire. Oh. And uh, he lived at Box, just down the hill from from Bath. And uh, he used to come into the town where we were. And really? Really? Yeah, he'd come in in his, um, he had an um, amazing, it was like a Lotus sports car, an open top one, very flamboyant, but a great guitarist, and a great singer, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so that was fantastic. So really in many ways then, once you got established, the word of mouth really helped. People were talking about your guitars because of the quality and the sound that they made. Is that one of the reasons why you became popular? In my opinion, it was mainly because I advertised them very well. So it's like a promise. Suppose you have an advertising that promises something, and then when you buy that, something is um, totally coherent with, what, with the fine advertisement that you saw. I think that people, when people... So my guitars in the advertising, they thought that was American stuff, you know, American quality. And, and so that, that's what they expected. And when they bought them, they found that they were uh, coherent with, with the images that they, they made in their mind through the advertising. I've, I've, I think it was, was that. Yeah, so you kind of met their expectations or exceeded them. You know, in other words, they said, this is even better than I expected. You know, it was advertised here. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So from your perspective, um, when, when you're obviously so in the business, because originally you were making everything and you were advertising, you were very, very busy during that period of time. How long do you think before you got on your feet and then you were able to employ other people? I really, uh, I really employed other people because I was a one man, it was a one man company. In Italy, we call it artigiano, meaning that you are alone in your bottega, which is a small shop, and you do things on your own. The, the five, 15 years uh, I, um, from 1988 to 2004, when I started building tube amps, which is a different story. I had uh, three or four persons working with me. I, I just remember one that was a very old man that was very good at it. The other ones were the, the terrible experience. Really? Gosh. So you just let it out the bag there. I just heard something. You started to build tube amps. Well, what happened there? So what, when did you change and start to build those? Yeah, when I started play, making guitars, what I wanted to do was a guitar that could satisfy a need that is, uh, I need. I wanted to make a guitar that one guy that travels to play in a lot of gigs, play in a session man, that plays in a lot of studios, wanted to have just to carry one just guitar and go by train instead of filling the um, the car with a lot of all this, all these roses, all his roses of guitars, very precious ones. And that's exactly what um, Andrea Braido, the guy who, who mentioned uh, previously to you, said. I can, he phoned me and said, I made the whole album with your guitar. I left my guitars apart and made the all and recorded the whole album with your guitar. Can you do for me two guitars? I have, I, I said, I only have one I can give to you, not two. And he said, I need two because I'm going on tour with this uh, famous artist I told you before. And uh, I have, a, I need a spare. Okay, I need a spare. So I said, I'm sorry. I, I'm making guitars uh, by hand, so I need four months. So when are you leaving? I'm leaving in one month. I will not take. I will not have time to build another one. And he said, "You know, I need two because 
I um, I have guitars. I can make uh, records without your guitars. The point is that with your guitars, I just use one. Incredible. And so I I realized that I had succeeded in doing what I wanted to do a guitar that had a credible sound like a Telecaster, a credible sound like a Les Paul, a credible sound like a Stratocaster, and that only one instrument. At the time that I started making two amps, I had a showroom in Milan, in the north of Italy, Milan. Milano, a guy came in and said, well, you, you, you made the guitars that make uh, all the sounds possible. It's, it sounds stupid, as, as I'm saying, but believe me, it's, uh, if you try one, it's, it's, uh, it's exactly what they do. They are credible guitars to play free instrument in just one, believe me. And uh, this guy had made a preamp. I, I think he, in the end, he was copying this from a Soldano preamp. But I, at the time, I had free amplifiers to, to, to um, show the guitars. I have a twin reverb for the clean. I had a Marshall for the crunch, and I had a Soldano for the lead, which was kind of which was kind of uh, tricky to handle, you know, free amplifier, very costly. This guy brought in a, a preamp that did everything that the free amplifier had in just one device. Okay, so I started. I, now I have to do the same thing I did with the guitar. I have to do with the amps, which I did, and again something very. Incredible happened because uh, I went to a town nearby here where there was a guy that was um, repairing TV and somebody told me that he was uh, some way expert in tubes, you know, he was a hi-fi, hi-fi expert and a specialist. And I said, listen, you are doing hi-fi stuff. Could you be, uh, could you produce, uh, industrially produce uh, uh, a, gu- a guitar preamp? I said, they said, I don't know, but I could do that probably. And uh, for one year, we worked to, to, through, um, to this uh, preamp, consider that it was living 60 kilometers from, from me. So I was going up and down, up and down three, three times a week. And uh, in the end, I plan to do uh, my own line of amps. So I, by a ch- for a chance, I met the um, three guys working, uh, studying at the International School of Design of Padova, which is one of the most important in, in the world, uh, Italian design. And as the students, uh, as the teacher, do you have three students that want to design some amplifiers that are going to be produced, not something that you you know, producing your school and then you make an examination or something that we get into the market. And they say, yes, and brought me three guys that designed the line, okay? And in the end, when I designed the line, when the end, when the amplifier was uh, was done, everything, he stole me everything. These guys stole me everything. Oh my. The design, the whole line, the whole experience that we made and the whole thing. And I was desperate about that, truly desperate. Believe me, I was in the, the lowest point, one of the lowest point in my life. And he made his own uh, uh, amplifier uh, line by using my look, my logo, and everything I did, my design, and everything I did. Uh, so I went back home, and I was very desperate. And a guy from uh, a friend of mine was living in Los Angeles phoned me, and I said, hey, "Listen, it's a very bad moment. What happened? It happened bad. Blah 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 blah." He said, "What? What's the problem?" And he told me that he knew the most important. To bump builder in the world. Wow. In Los Angeles. I can't say the name because I, I signed a contract. I said, I will ask him to do the line for you. And I said, You are dreaming. It's like saying, Paul McCartney, come and play bass for my song in my, at my house. You know, it's just like saying, Pinifarina, come and design me a car. You know, 
I say it's impossible. No more than 30 minutes later, I was in my kitchen. This guy, this, this producer of I'm producer called me and said, how do you want this line? And so I, I said, how much would I pay for that? And he said, uh, 20 million of lire, which is about 10,000 uh, uh, euros. Wow. So it was pretty good, you know, to have the, 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 your line of amplifiers built by the greatest tube amp builder, custom boutique tube amp builder of the world. So that's what it went, you know. And I produced that for 10 years. Incredible, incredible. I've got a quick question to ask. Why are tube amps so good compared to solid state? What is it? It's because the transient of the tube gives you some dynamic in your touch that today no other type of technology has been able to reproduce. You know, sometimes music is something that you that you feel music in your in your mind and in your body in a and this doesn't have anything to deal with the uh, technique. Correct. Absolutely. You're now at a stage where you've done the guitars, you've done the um, guitar amp. So what was the logical next stage after that? You've done this for, what, 10 years for the amplifiers. Where, where did that lead you? At the time, the, the, the company unilaterally stopped building these amplifiers. I had different licenses. Uh, I created different brands of guitar, different brands of amplifiers. And uh, all the, the companies that I dealt with, I have license of production. So in the case of the amplifier company, they suddenly stopped, uh, decided to, to stop building them. It, it coincided with uh, the rising of the... Um, this new te amplifier technology that uh, use uh, algorithms. These amplifiers are very uh, reliable because uh, they don't have tubes that wears out, you know, wear out. And uh, they are very light and tube amps are very heavy. So this technology got on the ground. You see, it started selling very good. So it was not that bad that we stopped at time. Because it's, it's the typical moment when a market goes another way and then we, we, it will come back. But, you know, there's a curve, you know, markets have a curve, but you don't know when. So I was not that disappointed when this company stopped doing, making Amplifier. We were at the time that the Amplifier was so good and so stable that we could sell that twice the price and do a lot less of what, of what we were producing. Working less and getting almost the same money, if not more. But I was, uh, they, they didn't intend to do that. They didn't believe these guys were very ancient boomers. So they, they didn't believe, for example, they, I, was, I was discussing with them because they couldn't believe that anything could be sold on the internet to very good people, very honest people, but very hard to, to deal with, you know, in that way, in that, in that way. You could give your uh, bank number account to have them and be sure that they have another touch. Anyway, they decided not to do that, and that was okay. But that was not so disappointing because these other technologies were rising, you know, and we might have some problems with the sales due to that. So and at the time, I started the school of um, guitar making, and I, I dedicated myself to this and um, to communication consultants and this kind of stuff, which uh, I, I, I like I like very much. I like maybe consultants stuff more than doing guitars. Halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. Isn't Glacio a great guest? Well, next I wanted to ask him a little bit more about his life in Italy and who was his major influences as he was growing up. The only thing that changed my life completely were the Beatles. Because of the Beatles, I make guitars. What I can say is, though, that my parents didn't interact what I, what I, was, what I wanted to do. Help me with the English. Tell me a little bit about 
what what life was like in in Italy and where you were when you were young. I was born in uh, very north of Italy, near Switzerland, in Varese. Ah, okay. And um, my dad used to work for um, a bank. He was a, a bank uh, clerk at the time in the in the late seventies um, when a, a bank employee wanted to make a career. They had to to go in other towns to move in other towns. So we moved to Bologna. I was studying in the secondary school languages. And here in Emilia Romagna, where we live here, is very different than Lombardia, where Varese is, is a very is much more of a, a amusing, funny place. They work a lot, but they want to have fun a lot as well. While in the north of Italy, they work a lot and they work a lot again. No fun. And uh, so it was very good to stay here. And then here I met a guy that uh, I think was the most incredible musician I've ever met in my life, Massimo Raitano, who died in 1987. And he was uh, the, the only person that I ever met that was, uh, was so similar to John Lennon that uh, it was uh, totally amazing, incredible, totally incredible. Uh, a guy you met one in every, wow. you know, to, in my opinion, this guy is one of, uh, of 10 millions, really one that, that, that borns in uh, every 100 years. And th- that was uh, a guy that I, you know, uh, partnered with, uh, musically speaking, you know, for a lot of time. And that was a gr- an incredible experience, incredible. As, uh, having this guy as a, as a musical friend was... Uh, was an incredible experience. And everything here in Emilia-Romagna is very authentic and funny. Humour is very important in certain parts of Italy. I mean, it's a bit like we were talking about earlier on with the Beatles, you know, they have a great sense of humour, you know, and that comes from... Yeah. It comes from yeah. a working class, yeah, working class background, you know, where they just... Humour is yeah. part of them coping with things, you know. Of course, you went to secondary school and yeah. then you met the guy who was into the Beatles... And that's really got you launched. So yeah, and sometimes I had built this Rickenbacker guitar copy that I told you, and he's built a, and then I built a Brian May Red uh, Special copy. My conception, what it was, of course, it was my second guitar, nothing to do with the original. But and this guy was also passionate about guitars. He was another guitar player, and we stopped doing, stopping going to our. Uh, schools and went to Cremona to the Antonio Stradivari uh, Luthery School together. And then and then this all started, you know, with the guitars and everything. Incredible history. So, okay, let's let's move to the Beatles because I know that was one of the reasons we, we came together. So when did you start to actually analyse the Beatles vocals? When did that all start to happen? Um, as I said, I, I, since I was very, very young, 13, since I first started with the Santo and Johnny thing and started getting interested into the Beatles, I was always listening to the Beatles. As I said, my parents has this Reader Digest record player. I put myself laying on the floor, nose up, and there was these speakers. I put the speakers like headphones and listened and sang over the song, sang over the song, sang the harmonies, and then sang harmonies that weren't there. And that was my, my school. And then one day I was in a, in a studio here, not a professional one, a home studio. And the guy of the studio knew that I uh, had a Beatles tribute band and he wanted to know the harmonies of a nowhere man. Uh, and I said, listen, we are uh, a bit late with the work, that we, the job we are doing. So would you mind if when I go home and then I we record the vocals to you, we send some MP3 files. It was, uh, I think... Uh, 2010 or whatever 2009 
And then um, when I got home, it was very late. The, the next morning, I, I had I, I had an old PC with Cubase and Reason. It took about 20 minutes to switch on, okay? So I saw that I had a camera uh, on the table, and it was a lot of time that I wanted to, to make a, a video on the Vocals of Nowhere Man. And I would I never dare to do this because it was, you know what, David, this is putting you in front of millions of millions of people. You have to really, really dare to do this. You know, you have to bet, really get um, Coraggioso to do that, you know? And, um, but casually there was this camera there and I record myself, uh, I, I switched the camera on, which took about half a second. And I, and I took the guitars and I made a video for him personally, you know, a personal video. When I saw the video, I said, that isn't bad, that isn't bad. I could dare to, Post it on a on a YouTube channel. So I opened the Beatles Vocal Harmony channel and I posted the I I dared to post that. I found the, the nerd to post that video and uh, it was a uh, immediate and incredible success. I think it made two hundred thousand views in I think a few months. Incredible. I don't remember, but yeah. yeah. And the vocals David were wrong. Oh seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but what the heck people enjoyed it yeah just a few notes but they were not perfect you know so a lot of a lot of uh, years later i made another one yeah so the one the one that is online now is correct i love that story that's so good but yeah. you had the courage to record yourself eh? it was casual because if i if he didn't ask i would never probably have the nerve to do that but these are the um uh, what's the words these are the little events the crossroads that we all meet in life isn't it yeah yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And things happen you know which is just wonderful it's just like great music um yeah so, so i did hear out of that conversation that you actually had a beatles tribute band is that correct yes i used to have one until uh Pretty famous one in Italy until um, 2010. Yeah. Oh my goodness! So how long did you have that band? Uh, in the in 1980 till 2010, 30 years. Wow! So you guys were very well versed in how to put the songs together and how to perform them accurately. Yeah. Well, we we weren't so accurate that uh, to the level that I would uh, um, require now. But believe me, playing with this guy was the most amazing experience I've had in my life. The most amazing one. It was incredible. After 30 years, you get some kind of uh, groove and excitement and um, ensemble that is unrepeatable. In fact, I never, never, I never been able to to play with any anyone, anybody else. Oh my goodness! So there's a feeling. It feels right. You know, that's the thing. Uh, if I try to. Play the Beatles with any, any, no matter the level of professionality I play with, I get very, very, very nervous in a few, a few minutes. <laughs> that, well, that's really, that's really saying something. That's unusual for a professional musician, somebody with your skill and uh, good ear, you know. So that just shows you, doesn't it? You want to make it right, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's something unexpected. I can't explain. It's just, it's just not as precise you play that mm, as as you are. Uh, philological with what you're playing you know exactly like the record is a way of uh, a way of uh, playing there's some groove some swinging some i don't know how to but this unrepeatable 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 in totally repeatable you 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 can't even describe what it is it's something that the drummer starts and it keeps the the snare just a little bit late the the bass is on the kick drum but the snare is just a little bit late so the sound is relaxed just like the Beatles you know something that relaxes you while it at the same time it gives you a lot of energy but it's never hurrying up it's never 
uh, hectic. Yeah. Is always is powerful, energical, but relaxed. But a, at the same time, uh, I don't know the exact word in English, but is um, relaxed in a way. Is um, something comfortable. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying because it was interesting when Ringo Starr came on as the drummer for the Beatles, and uh, you know they had a couple of drummers before. He brought something to the band that you yeah. You, definitely, you, like you're trying to explain there, it was a certain feel to it because he had a he had this sloppy jazz way about him that just brought this kind of groove, you know. It, 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 yeah. Like you say, it was slightly late, and you know, but it was his style. It was the way he, came. and I think you know we always we always under, underestimate what drummers bring to a band, but they bring a certain feeling, don't they? A certain rhythm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely correct. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. It's something that is in the, in the pocket. It's something that you can't you can't say. It's, it's another level of enjoyable enjoyability. I don't know what to say. That. If I was to ask you, and this is a really tough question, I know, but. What is the essence, do you think, of the Beatles? What do you think is, if you were to distill it even more, what do you think it is that, that really captures people's imagination and their soul? What we just described, this feeling that the music have that nobody nobody can reproduce because it's, uh, they, they play too much. Uh, David, I, I, I can't really say what it is. I can't really say. It's not a matter of um, techniques. It's also a matter of tactics, of course, because you need a lot of tactics to play. Uh, for example, now I'm studying uh, in deep in studying all my loving and, and John Lennon triplets. There are few guitar players in the world that can play this thing just like him. Okay, anything you take from the Beatles, you need very, 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 very skilled people to play like them, which is incredible because they were 20 years old guys. You know, amazing. I mean, you know, it's really funny, um, Galeta, is that I've just reviewed All My Loving on my radio show on Sunday, just yesterday, and I played an extract that somebody had extracted his guitar playing, his triplets that he's playing on All My Loving. Yeah. That is weird that we've just spoken about that. Yeah. Did you notice that there is a classical guitar beyond that? I just discovered that. Y yeah. They said it was very much acoustic-based track, and it was a Jamais Rezé or something. I can't remember. I don't know the name of the guitars. And a J160, is that right? A J160E? Yes. To, in my opinion, they didn't play the J160. But I, I'm just studying this in these exact, exact hours, but I'm pretty sure that, that John used the, the 325. Even if you play the, the, the J160 very near the bridge, this one has a P90 pickup on the on the next side, okay? Right. Uh, let me show, well, you, 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 can, you can see images anyway. Uh, so you, if you play near the bridge, you have a similar sound. But in my opinion, still, if, uh, even Michael Sokil, a friend of mine, made a video. And he discovered uh, before me that there was a classical guitar. If he's playing the, G, uh, the J160, uh, um, uh, but um, I think it's a Rickenbacker. You do. That's interesting. So yes. you know what? That throws all my commentary out yesterday. Uh, I, I've got it all wrong then. <laughs> I think it's the 325 bridge pickup and then it's... But I can tell you in a, in a few days. That would be fantastic. In a few days, I will have the answer. And then there is a, there is a classical guitar playing stuff like... Uh, 
this finger all over the song, all throughout the whole song, back there. This is a classical guitar. If you think about George Martin, how clever he was, because the, the song was recorded the same day of all my uh, of uh, Till Was You. It, it, absolutely, right? yes. There was. Um, I think they recorded five tracks that day. Um, actually, I've got to re I've got to refer yeah. to my notes today. You're making me think. So let me just bring my notes up because I am intrigued about this, and I literally yeah. like to say I've just done this. Uh, yesterday. Please check for me if it was recorded with the Till There Was You the same day, because there are classical guitars on Oh, yeah, absolutely, you. yeah, I, I don't disagree. So um, let me just have a quick look at my notes here, because um, yeah. when I did, I do a feature called Pop Goes the Beatles on another track, it's a, like I say, my music show, and what was interesting was um, I was looking through all the different tracks they did in the studio, and they recorded All My Loving on the 30th of July 1963, and Please Mr. Postman was recorded. It won't be long. Money, that's what I want. And a Rollover Beethoven Until There Was You were also included in that recording session. Okay, so Till There Was You's got some uh, classical guitars. Uh, even if recording the Beatles, the Beatles' uh, most referent book ever doesn't uh, uh, stay there. We were present in 63, but Till There Was You was recorded in 63, and there were, there were some classical guitar. Chances are that they use the same one on My Loving. I think you're right. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think the, 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 the triplets are played with the 325, but I can tell you this in a few hours. I'm, I'm working on this just right now. So I think I can tell you if, if it's the, the J160 or the 325, because the sound, if you play the 160 very near to the bridge, is quite similar. It's quite similar, but it has got a acoustic feel of it that you can recognize from the 325, Eric 325. But for sure, there is that acoustic guitar strumming, and most probably is a classical guitar, like uh, uh, Michael. Um, showed in, in his video i just discovered that why he discovered that before actually me. i'm going to do something i don't know if this will work technically but i have a mixing desk and i actually have a, an extract of it and i'm hoping that you can hear this you may or may not be able to hear this <laughs> That's just incredible. I mean, what John is doing there is amazing. Yeah. And how difficult is that? It's twice as amazing if you think that uh, few people on earth can reproduce this thing in the same way. And it's twice as uh, incredible because uh, if you analyze what he's playing, he's playing a, a string staccato throughout the whole part because he's playing, he's playing, this is her uh, this is uh, Horizon. George. And that's George again, isn't it? Yeah. Here we go again. Yeah. 
I mean, that's just incredible how he's doing that. It's so consistent, yeah? It's so consistent and incredibly uh, smooth. I mean, there are, there are uh, very good uh, uh, players that are uh, reproducing this part in, very, in a very nice way, but they always miss the evenness, the fluence, because there is uh, some... Uh, when he passes from a, a chord to another, is uh, it, there's no separation. There are open strings. But you can hear open strings going on, especially here. Okay, but everything is smooth. When you hear people playing this, is uh, everything is separated, but the most incredible thing is the, the melody into the, so the part that is playing. It's a... Uh, There is a melody. It's a melody. It's a melody inside the melody. Like every Beatles song, there is a melody inside the melody. And that's what makes the whole song unrepeatable. You know, there are melodies inside, melodies stacked all over the other. So you are captured by different level of uh, in musical uh, appealing. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, it's just incredible. You know, as I, I'm not a trained musician in any way, I mean, I must admit, I do appreciate music and I'm involved in music because I do radio and, and obviously interviews and things like this. So for me, I know what sounds really good, but I have to say that blew me away when I heard that extracted and I heard those triplets you know, and, and the way that he just, he, he just moves with it. It was so smooth and... You know, it flowed. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. But the, the thing is, what makes this uh, smooth, if you think about it in a arrangement, I think you are George Martin, you have to, if you're an orchestra director, so you have to arrange the, the Beatles. And that's the, 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 um, one of the most interesting things about the Beatles is that the, the, the music is arranged like an orchestra. Every frequency has its own instrument. Every instrument is played in a part of the instrument of the neck or the keyboard to occupy these specific frequencies that are not occupied by other instruments. So this is how George Martin crafted the music. And, he, and uh, I was writing to another guy the other day about all my loving when I uh, discovered that uh, same isolation you are presenting and uh, I wonder how I could listen to the song for 40 years and never uh, understand that there was a guitar a, a guitar doing an acoustic guitar doing this but if you stop and think about the bass is doing this thing very low frequency the guitar is very high the John guitar is very up there okay very, very, what, the, there's something missing in between. There yeah. must be something in between because otherwise you have a very dry sound, no myth, no fullness. So there must be some, there always been, must be something there, but we didn't know that it was right in front of us, right in front of us. Every, we didn't, we didn't absolutely need this isolation to understand that it was in front of us, especially in the in the part that uh, plays um, there's one chord where you can clearly hear in the original recording with the vocals and the, and the thing the, the, the acoustic guitar coming out, the classical guitar coming out and it was it was absolutely 
scontato that this was there, you know, it was uh, normal, it was there, but we did never, never understand that. It was so well mixed that we never understood that. I, I'm going to ask you one other question, which is just on the end of my lips. Mono or stereo recordings? What do you reckon? Well, you know what, David, is, is that we, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, um, uh, a, a smart question, but it's very difficult to, 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 to uh, reply to, because, uh, uh, to answer to, because uh, we, uh, we Beatles fans are so uh, um, tied to the stereo version because they allow us to, to, to see all, to, to, to hear all the different instruments and vocals, sometimes even is isolated, but we never consider the mono one. But uh, according to the experts, the mono ones were much, much more uh, into what they wanted to let you hear in the beginning. Yeah, I agree. I tell, And it's funny, I still almost prefer the mono versions. You know, I love just hearing the same sound coming out both speakers because, you know, they, they were originally designed to be listened to on a, a record player with one speaker, you know, and, and that was it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, um, you know, when you hit the stereo, don't get me wrong, it's wonderful. And, and they did some real great experiments with stereo with the Beatles. But I still somehow go back to the purity and the clarity of the mono recordings. Just wonderful. No, I agree. So I just wanted to really just sum things up just to finish off. I mean, if um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they're interested in what you're doing at the moment. Either they might be interested in making a guitar. They might be interested in the way that maybe you've extracted the Beatles vocals. Or maybe they're interested in how you market how can they get a hold of you? What's the easiest way of getting a hold of you? Uh, the, easiest, the easiest way is to link to the www.beatlesvocalharmony.com website and write me using the, the mail there. Perfect. That's very straightforward. I will be pleased to help. No, and you've been more than gracious to come and talk for nearly an hour and a half with me today. And I really appreciate your time. I really do. Um, one of the things that I always like to ask um, you know, my guests, and, and it's something that I kind of throw out there, <laughs> If you were 18 again and you met yourself uh, on a Bologna bus or something like that, or you're in Turin or wherever, and you met yourself, what advice would you give yourself now that you know all this knowledge? Mm, well, I, I'm not the kind of guy who give, gives advice because I think um, most, most of the time, 99% of times the people who ask you for advice have already decided what to do. So um, I would probably say to myself, hey, buddy, <laughs> how are you? Something like this. And I would probably try to understand how we try to, I would, uh, it's difficult to explain this concept in English, but I, I will ask my, the other myself, I will try to know him, to let him speak rather than saying something to him. No, I get that. I think you want that young freshness to come through. You know, what's your feelings? What do you like? You know, don't be sort of, you know, steered by my brain, you know, my old brain. You know, it's, it's all about freshness, isn't it? What new ideas are you bringing forward? I get that. Yeah. Would there be anything that you would change? Mm, no. No. Maybe I have one of the... Uh, one or two things I wouldn't do, um, but nothing very, nothing, nothing important. Just stupid things. Maybe uh, I had arguments with my daughter. I, I would, you know, pass this away. I would not do that. And uh, I'm talking about one or two that come in my mind in 27 years. Or so 
guy is very, very That's fair enough. Yeah, it's fair enough, you know. Yeah. Thank you very much for uh, guesting me in your program. It was very, very nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. If anything, uh, uh, there's anything you want me to involve, you want to involve me, just ask me. You give me a call, phone call and we'll do that. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry for the English, but I can speak as, as much as I... Uh, I did uh, what I could. No problems at all. In fact, it was better than my Italian. All I can say is ciao. <laughs> it's better than any stranger Italian, foreign people Italian in the world, for sure, sure, because Italian is a dead language. Well, I don't know. I mean, the thing about it is, is I know my daughter wants to go to Italy. She's 15. And where do you want to travel in the world, uh, Jennifer? And she said, Italy, Dad, I'm going to go to Italy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're right. Everybody wants to come to Italy. They are smart to do this absolutely well the history and the culture and everything and just the way of life is so important i think and the food as well oh without a doubt that's another program but anyway i want to just say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart it's been so good to speak to you you're very welcome thanks to you thank you take care keep making the guitars or keep teaching in the making of the guitars yeah 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 <laughs> thank you david ciao 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 bye bye You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Galeazzo Frudwa, the Italian Beatle, who is the guitar maker for the stars. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a Britcam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated keeping us safe on the roads of North America.